0: Welcome to Mass Ave. We're here bringing you conservative news, policy, and insight from the steps of Capitol Hill. I'm your host, Emily Vanderbush.
1: I'm Tommy Binion.
0: Welcome to our show today. We have a great show lined up. We're going to be talking about liberal hypocrisy.
1: Liberal lies and the lying liberals who lie them. I think it would be a really great name for this episode.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll try that title.
1: Well, here in Washington, the House, the Senate, and the Supreme Court are all three back in session today. This was a busy day. Uh, It's a busy week. The Senate's Mm going to do uh, – Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, has promised a vote on Graham-Cassidy, but there are not yet 51 yes votes lined up behind that health care proposal. So that is a watch and wait and and listen and see scenario for uh, a last-ditch effort to repeal Obamacare. I wanted to say uh, I spent the news sort of frustrated at the amount – spent the weekend sort of frustrated at the amount of news coverage uh, this NFL nonsense is receiving compared to the millions of Americans who are without power, especially those uh, in Puerto Rico. Um, We're – you know, there's a devastating situation down there, and if we do get coverage from the news, it's for them to lie – and say that these hurricanes are being caused by global warming. Of course, that's not the case. Nick Loris points that out in a recent op-ed. Uh, that was actually the uh, the idea for this episode. Yep. Uh, liberal lies. One of them is that uh, you know global warming is causing these hurricanes. That's not the case. Actually, in the last ten years, we're in a significant hurricane drought in the United States. Um, so clearly, it, it there is no trend that can be associated in terms of hurricanes. With global warming. And that's just one of the liberal lines we deal with on a daily basis.
0: And you also talked about Graham Cassidy. I know that has gotten a lot of outrage lately, uh, specifically with Jimmy Kimmel. He's been kind of driving the debate on that. Do you see a lot of misinformation going around with that as well?
1: I do see some misinformation. I listen to Ben Shapiro's podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners do as well. Uh, it turns out he has a daughter who had a similar surgery at the same hospital from the same doctor as Jimmy Kimmel's son and has a very different take on the matter. But I think what's important to note is that um, – uh, Jimmy Kimmel, his family went through a, you know, I'm sure a terrifying uh, medical situation, as as many American families do. That does not make you an expert on healthcare policy. Um, the Jimmy Kimmel test that everyone has coverage, uh, universal coverage that covers everything, is is sort of ridiculous. That's not how the health insurance market works. You know, uh, I, I do believe that the Republican proposals, all of them so far, are better than Obamacare and will will deliver higher quality care at more affordable prices. That's the goal after all. And it's clear looking at the policy analysis that all of these Republican proposals, including Graham Cassidy, uh, do better uh, along the lines that the Jimmy Kimmel test is, is supposedly trying to test.
0: And it is interesting how uh, this has kind of steered the debate on the liberal side towards trying to make the case for a single payer system. Um, you know, people seem to think that this is now the the resolution to all of our health care woes. Speaking
1: of liberal lies.
0: Exactly. We just keep coming back to it.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm astonished that as Obamacare is failing, that uh, right on cue, the left is uh, pivoting towards uh, single payer, which uh, which will make the quality of care go down.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: uh, affordability of care uh, from a from a federal government standpoint. Right. Uh, skyrocket. Um, And, of course, it it probably will provide uh, universal care, but not in the way that we're used to getting it. Uh, When you look at socialized countries and their socialized medicine schemes, uh, they don't have care the way we do. They do not have care on demand. They do not have unrationed care. They do not have um, innovation uh, and and the medical advancements that we enjoy in this country. So it it, it won't do uh, any of the things that the liberals are promising it does.
0: And on that note, we have Genevieve Wood joining us today. Genevieve, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you all. Uh, so Genevieve is a senior communications advisor here at the Heritage Foundation and senior contributor at The Daily Signal. Uh, just a little bit of a background on her. Uh, Wood is a founding member of The Daily Signal, which provides conservative opinion as well as news and analysis on policy and political matters. She also produces regular commentary in text and on video, interviews elected officials and other newsmakers on camera and makes major media appearances so it is an honor to have you here today Genevieve
1: and I mentioned at the top of the show um you know Nick Loris wrote that op-ed that demonstrated very clearly that there were no demonstrable trends to indicate hurricanes are being caused or worsened by global warming by climate change as the left sort of unanimously uh stated uh, as we were reeling from um Harvey and Irma, uh, but that is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the lies that they uh, that they represent as facts on a daily basis. You must have faced some of this in the media. Uh, any experiences you want to tell us about?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when you have an ideology and, you know, you can just say, well, the ends justifies the means, and if it means having to put facts, quote-unquote, out there that aren't really facts, and then people do that, and I've often said I used to do media training for folks, and I said, you know, it's it's really, it's easier to be a a liberal pundit than a conservative pundit on television, Mm -hmm. because basically, as as a liberal, you just get to be Santa Claus. You get to tell everybody, here's what you're going to get, it's all going to be free, we're going to have the top 1% 1% pay for it. Uh, and as a conservative, you have to stand up and say, no, actually things have cost and everything isn't free. As much as we would love to have free college education and free healthcare and all the things that you hear from the left on a regular basis, we know that there's that's just not factually accurate and true. But it's easier than as a left as I said, pundit, because they get to kind of play, like, you know, everything's gonna be free, they get to be what I call the friend, and the conservative has to come in and be the parent. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's tougher, as a conservative, frankly, to do a lot of these kind of debates, because we do have to use facts. And a lot of times, because the mainstream media itself is left, they don't hold those folks to the same standards, they let them spout out stuff like these hurricanes are being caused by global warming, when in fact there's no evidence of that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that it's, – it's, you're absolutely right. They, they lie about their proposals and, and you know, they, they skip over important things like how we're going to pay for them without bankrupting the country. But they also um, – they, they mislead the public dramatically about uh, conservative proposals. You know, we've been in the midst of trying to repeal Obamacare all year now. Uh, and at each stage, we're, we, we're being told increasingly exaggerated numbers about who and how many people would lose coverage. So, you know, originally, there's a CBO score that says, uh, you know, something like 20 million people are going to lose coverage. Well, guess what? 20 million is way more people than even gained coverage under That's Obamacare. Right. So in some of these cases, you know, it, it, it just gets more ridiculous, and there is a, more you know it could not possibly be true
3: yeah look i I did a whole uh, video commentary on this called about why the the 20 million number in obamacare is fake of these 20 million folks that they said have gained coverage reality is if any number the latest is probably around 11 but 8 million of those are people who ended up getting medicaid Uh, so they don't want to talk about that though because most americans know medicaid coverage isn't the kind of health care that they want so they just they leave those numbers and those facts to the side so sometimes it's what they say is just not true, and then sometimes it's the, the convenient facts, if you will, that they leave out that's not true. I mean, another area would be immigration. Uh, again, they, they can, you know, there's some debates we may have where we say we don't really know how things are going to play out. But when it comes to things like immigration and whether or not amnesty is a good idea, we have history to look at right we can go back to 1986 when our Republican president Ronald Reagan signed off on amnesty uh, we the, and the pledge then by Democrats Chuck Schumer was a big part of that debate then was that if you give us amnesty today we'll do border security right after well we know how that goes it's kind of like give us spending now and we'll cut things later uh, that our you know yeah, we will we'll cut spending in the, later that never happens so they took the amnesty they never really did the border security and so today instead of of one to three million people that we're talking about as was in 1986 we're talking about perhaps 11 to 12 million if if we have an exact number so again the left even when there are there's history out there showing you which way to go or there's actual facts that are there they just have they don't use them if it doesn't if it's not convenient to their argument
1: I couldn't agree more in 1986 the amnesty was supposed to go to one million people it went to three Mm -hmm. Uh, and so in this round um, you know we should be skeptical. Of yeah, well, because that's quadruple. That so the
3: problem is four right. times as big now as it was in 1986. So why would we right. think doing the exact same thing again is going to turn out differently somehow this time?
1: Uh, it, it it actually causes the problem. The amnesty actually causes the illegal immigration. One more thing on the health care. Uh, it started out with the, with the CBO number, 20 million. And now we've got Graham Cassidy, and we haven't seen the CBO score yet, but there's a group out there, and the liberals on the Hill are quoting whoever this group is, saying that 32 million people will lose their health care. So they just get more bold in their exaggerations um, every week. Graham Cassidy, of course, takes every dime that Obamacare spends on subsidies and gives it to the states, and suddenly – In that transfer, 32 million people supposedly lose coverage. It's just absurd, Um, and and we're here to hold them accountable.
0: So as you have both already said, we do have the facts and the history uh, to back us up. Why do you think it is then that the liberals are always able to set the narrative on this? What do you think conservatives might be missing when it comes to messaging on these?
3: Well, I think sometimes conservatives can get caught up in just like the facts Mm -hmm. will win the day. And as I've often said, if just having the right facts were enough, there's plenty of policy debates that we would have won over the years. But, you know, people tend to, to fall. you know, look, we're people who work in a building that no matter what the issue is, we can go find some expert on Mm -hmm. it to give us a debrief, right? I mean, from tax and health care policy to you name any country around the world, and there's somebody here who is an expert on that. Uh, And we get paid. To, to do this as full-time jobs. I can't even keep up with what's going on. And I, get, I do this 24-7. You know, most Americans are very busy living their lives, uh, working, paying their taxes, raising their families. It's very hard to keep up with all the details. And so they get bits and pieces of the news. Mm-hmm. And I think that the left is very good at throwing pictures out there and sound bites out there that are easily uh, digestible, if you will, where sometimes our side, not so good good at that we kind of want to say well if we have an hour-long debate we can win this thing well when's the last time anybody sat down and watched an hour-long debate on any issue any average American on a regular basis they they, they simply don't have time for that so I, th- I think the left again if you're not attached to the facts as much and you're more attached to emotion uh, I mean we all remember President Bill Clinton his famous I feel your pain uh, <laughs> and everybody believed it and so from then on everything he talked about like, he must know where we're coming from I just think our side doesn't do enough – well, I shouldn't say our – I will say President Trump seemed to get that message. He, he if, if the rest of the Republicans, uh, and I would say the, the mainstream conservative uh, folks out there, would take a, a, take a lesson from him. They don't have to say it exactly like he says it, but they ought to take, take note that he sp- spoke in simple language. He spoke to where people are, not where we maybe want them to be. Uh, and he spoke in terms that showed, I understand where you are. Here you got somebody who's a billionaire, and many Americans who were far from that said, that guy understands me better than other people who maybe are closer to my economic range.
1: Yeah, President Trump certainly um, tapped into something within the country that the media did not know was there. Uh, and even on election night, the media was shocked at the results. Um, and in the meantime, they have continually – been shocked by president trump's uh, success basically what happens is the president says or does something that offends the media and the media projects their own feelings on the rest of the country and lo and behold uh the media turns out to be wrong and the president turns out to be right that may be going on in the nfl today uh the president says something and i think a lot of people um he was speaking for them and the media uh you know, they 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 thought that everybody was gonna be shocked about this. And I, I think again, the people are where the president is, not where the media is. Well we-
3: and I and I love the hypocrisy you're hearing in the media of why is the president, you know, getting involved in NFL and talking about sports. Aren't there more important things to do? Look at here's the reality. I think many Americans are so sick and tired of being le- lectured to by these public figures who get a public stage whether it's hollywood whether it's broadway whether it's grammy artists you know all the major networks espn and now football players right who are are making tons of money because fans buy their jersey buy tickets and watch the the games and i think they're they're kind of like you know what you all lecture us. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel, a late night TV host, is lecturing everybody on health care. Why should the president not get into the, to the football debate when nobody else is standing up, as I said, on any of those major public stages and saying, Tommy, what you exactly said, which is what most Americans think, regardless of what your position is uh, on various issues, respecting the flag and respecting the red, white and blue and our national anthem is not where you make such protest
1: sort of a no-brainer for President Trump to ally himself with the flag and the national anthem and our nation's veterans. Yeah, which
3: side do you want to be on, <laughs> that side or, or the other side? I mean, if there's two sides in that, seems like he picked the right one.
1: Genevieve, give us a tip. Uh, for the water cooler next time we're dealing with this kind of garbage. You you go on television and you do it so well, and the rest of us are, are just facing an obnoxious co-worker who's read <laughs> too many liberal blogs. Uh, how do we deal with, with this hypocrisy? What do we do to... Uh, distill it
3: well I, you look you're not you're not going to convince nancy pelosi or chuck schumer if you have to do, if you run into them at the water cooler hopefully hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that's hopefully they're not at <laughs> your water cooler uh, but i you know i look i think your average person who is interested in politics and interested in what's going on in the country uh who might still be misinformed or misguided as i like to call it they want to be heard and so i think one of the main things to do is let somebody say their piece in a, in a discussion and you know, keeping in control of your tone and tenor, it's the one thing you can be in control of. You can't necessarily control where the other person got their facts or what they're gonna say, but if you don't lose your cool, I think it goes a long way in eventually having a real discussion, and and that's how most, I think, frankly, most minds are changed uh, in this country is when it's a neighbor or a family member or a friend or a coworker that people know they're much more willing to listen to you than they are a politician they see on TV, Uh, and so, just, you know, take that responsibility serious because you, you actually have the ability to change
0: minds. Seems like a great spot to leave it. Thanks so much for joining us, Genevieve. Thank you.
1: Great to have you.
0: Thanks again to Genevieve for joining us. That was great. And thank you for listening in. Uh, remember to subscribe to Mass Ave on iTunes so you can never miss what's going on on the Hill and around the world. Check us out at Facebook at Mass Ave Podcast. And remember to follow the Heritage Foundation to keep up with the latest conservative news, policy, and insight from the steps of Capitol Hill. And we're going to leave you with our special segment, Ask the Expert, with Jenny Multibano. So we interviewed Joe Postel. He's a visiting fellow here at Heritage in the B. Kenneth Simon Center for Principles and Politics. And the question we received is from Ron and Judy. And they said, I am beginning to think a third party is already in the making from all similar sources I receive email from. Frankly, I'm all for it. I've come to the conclusion in the last few years that there is not that much difference between the two parties. I'm ready to to throw a stick in the spokes. We the people must stand together regardless of race, color, creed, etc. Trouble being getting organized. Strong, never wavering, outspoken new blood is, I feel, one way to get things turned around and headed back to we the people. And here is Joe's response.
2: Third parties in American politics have a pretty limited history. Um, Third parties typically don't fare well in American politics because of the nature of our electoral system. We have a system of elections in American politics where it's called first past the post, where if you finished first or if your party's candidate finishes first in a a race, they get all of the representation. If you finish first in a congressional district, even if you only get 41, 51, 52 percent of the vote, whatever it may be, you're first past the post, you get all of the representation in that district. And that typically means that third parties, especially if they're evenly distributed throughout the country, don't get any representation in Congress or in the Electoral College. If you run a third party candidacy and you win 20% of the vote nationally, but that vote is evenly distributed among all of the districts or all of the states in the Electoral College, you get zero Electoral College votes or zero. Uh, members of the Congress. And so this means that third parties always have an incentive to work within one of the two main parties because that's the way, typically, that you get representation in this system. Um, Now, typically, people find that very frustrating because they don't like the idea of having to join one of the two main parties. They like the idea of more options. But there are actually very positive aspects of this system as well. The two-party system actually forces people to work with other parts of a coalition in order to build a majority. And it actually gives people more power to influence politics when we have a two-party system, because instead of forming a party only with people who agree with you and having 5% of the power in government, parties actually incentivize and encourage people to work within a larger structure, to form coalitions with other interests and other points of view. And this actually allows for greater cohesion, greater coalition building, and ultimately expands the influence even of people who would rather be in a third party. Uh, The most important aspect of this, though, and the thing that is probably missing today the most, is a process within each party for producing that kind of coalition, that kind of discussion, and that kind of compromise. Right now, typically, members within each party are not really listening to each other. And that's a complaint that a lot of people are mentioning these days, and it's probably the thing that parties need to work on the most. Instead of necessarily leaving the party and going and joining a third party, what I think we need now is for the two parties to listen to the people who are in their membership and to try to work with people inside the party to form those coalitions. If they do that, I think we'll see a lot more responsive government.
0: Thanks for listening to Mass App Podcast, and remember to subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes to keep up with the latest and in conservative insight from the steps of Capitol Hill.